morning, everyone. It's good to see you. It's good to worship with you this morning on this fourth Sunday of Advent. And um, I'm really looking forward to the Christmas Eve services this Friday, right? Somebody give me a thumbs up. I have the day right in my head. This Friday at, at uh, 4.30 and 7, especially after not being able to worship together in person last, last Christmas Eve. I'm really looking forward to that. So I hope you can, can join us for that. Um, yeah, come on up, come on up. I have some friends helping me with the second reading, which is why I'm, I've stepped out of my, my pulpit uh, the, um, to, to invite faith and grace up because uh, as we make this final turn in the season of Advent on this fourth Sunday, we meet Mary. And this, we meet her fresh off of her visit from the angel where she receives news that she is indeed burying the Son of God. And so she goes off to visit her relative Elizabeth who is also pregnant with John the Baptist. I'm excited for Faith and Grace to help me uh, with this reading to give some voice to, to Mary and Elizabeth. So friends, I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds, uh, to listen as we encounter God's word together from the first chapter of Luke, beginning with the 39th verse. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord come to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt with joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the loneliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in his the thoughts of their hearts. He had brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, faith and grace. Really appreciate your help. A couple months back, Maria and I had a rare date night, and we went to a place that was hosting a trivia night. But not just any trivia, it was music trivia. Essentially, it was a version of Name That Tune. Sounded fun, so we decided to play along. Now, as parents of young children, we were pretty concerned about how we would fare in such a contest unless the categories for said game happened to be Baby Shark or some kind of Disney-themed tune naming. We knew we'd be in trouble if it was anything else. During the game, each song would play for 10 to 15 seconds, and then we would have to name the song uh, as well as the artist. Sadly, neither Baby Shark or Disney were among the categories for the game, and we ended up in dead last place by a good bit. But it was still fun. 
What I remember, though, is so many songs, even though we couldn't name them or say who the artist was, they were on the tip of our tongue. It was so familiar. It was almost within grasp, but you just couldn't name that tune. I'm sure uh, all of you have had that, that moment listening to the radio uh, where, where a song comes on and you just can't quite remember the name, but it sounds so familiar. In our lesson this morning, we get a similar phenomenon as we hear Mary's beloved song. Now, leading up to this song, though, Mary meets her fellow pregnant relative, Elizabeth. Now, true to his future as a prophet, John leaps in his mother Elizabeth's womb when Mary arrives, causing her to erupt in praise for Mary, telling her, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. This is the basis of the Hail Mary prayer that our Catholic friends say as part of their rosary liturgy. Now, Elizabeth often goes unnoticed in the story because of the power of Mary's song. It tends to overshadow it, but I want to make sure we take just a moment to remember that it's Elizabeth's words, and it's her experience of John leaping in her womb that causes Mary to burst forth in song. To put it another way, Elizabeth's holy words beget Mary's holy words. It's Elizabeth's reflection that causes Mary to burst into song, and what a song it is that we hear. Luke's telling of the birth of Christ has a sort of musical feel to it in general. It's the only gospel to include canticles or songs within it. Just like your favorite musical, The action of the story unfolds, and every now and then the story pauses for a character to reflect in song about the wonderful thing that just happened or the power that they have just experienced. John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, will break into song at his birth, ending his likely nine months of being unable to speak. The angels burst into a song of praise for the shepherds announcing Jesus' birth. Simeon, an older man in the temple, sings to God that now that he's, meted the, that he's met the Christ child, God's servant may now be dismissed in peace. But it's Mary's song. Mary's song that always finds a way to strike just the right chord, making it the most memorable in the group. Mary, a young woman who has experienced, to say the least, a whirlwind of emotions, takes a moment to sing to reflect, and more than anything, to praise her God. The song begins notably with self-reflection as she responds to Elizabeth's praise. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She calls herself a servant of the Lord who is blessed. But to be sure, this is no meek and mild song of praise as we tend to depict it. She goes on to praise God's action of turning over the tables in our world, of lifting up the lowly and casting down the mighty, of filling the poor with good things and sending the rich away empty. These words are often sugar-coated, but they are really a blunt reminder of God's preferential care for the poor, the lowly, the outcast, the stranger. Interestingly, Mary sings these statements in a past tense. 
as if God has already done these things. Scholars say that Mary utilizes what's known as a sense of prolepsis in her song. In other words, she's naming what God has done, what God is doing, and what God certainly will do through her child. It's a bold, declarative statement that this is God's timeless action. This is what God always does. This is who God is, of caring for and helping the least, the last, and the lost. Hearing Mary's song on the fourth Sunday of Advent reminds us that if God is on the side of those on the margins, we ought to be as well and commit ourselves to helping our neighbors in need among us. You know, there's something oddly familiar about Mary's song. And it certainly would have been so for Luke's gospel audience. I can imagine as they hear her beautiful song for the first time, they say to one another like Marie and I did at Music Trivia, what is that song? I've heard this before. It might be on the tip of their tongues, but they know it has a familiar tune. The words sound familiar as well. Scholars have traditionally made connections of uh, between Mary's song with the song of Hannah, who sings out and prays at the birth of her son Samuel, who will bring Israel past the dark time of the judges and into the time of the kings, a time that culminates with the crowning of King David, Jesus' own ancestor. There are several lines from Mary's song that almost sound like an echo of Hannah's naming God's care for the least and the lost, particularly among those. But Luke's audience, who knew the Hebrew scriptures well, also thought there were other echoes in the song as well. They're reminded of Miriam's song in Exodus, as she and her friends take out their tambourines and dance for joy as God parts the Red Sea to lead them away from Pharaoh's army. It strikes a familiar chord to Deborah's song, Deborah was a, a prophet and the only female judge. Her song, likely some of the oldest poetry in the whole Old Testament, uh, along with Miriam's song, praises God for Israel's victory over the Canaanites and again echoes God's care for the poor, saying that God allowed the peasantry to prosper and to grow fat on plunder. Needless to say, friends, when women sing in the Bible... Pay attention, because something big is about to happen. To be clear, Mary sings a new song, but it strikes a familiar, nostalgic tune in the ears of Israel. Mary's song is sung in the same key as these other faithful women throughout Scripture, all of whom praise God's timeless commitment to those in need. The imminent birth of God's own Son, of God's own Word made flesh, is the culmination, the pinnacle of this action of God. So we might say that this song isn't really Mary's, nor is it Hannah's or Miriam's or Deborah's. It's God's song. It's God's timeless, ongoing song ringing out to those who are in need of hope, ringing out to the hungry needing to be fed, ringing out to a people living in darkness who are desperately longing for light. This song rings out, friends. 
Mary and these faithful women boldly decide to sing along and add their voice to this great song, this great chorus of God. The question for us as we make this final turn of Advent then, friends, is will we join with Mary and the countless others in this tune? Will we sing out for justice for our neighbors who are desperate for help? Will we sing out in love to our neighbors who are hungry or lonely? Will we sing? In October 1962, Noel Regney and Gloria Shane found a way to join in this song of God's timeless action of care and peace for those in need. They'd been asked to write a Christmas song by their record producers, but expressed some concern because of the growing commercialization of Christmas in the early 60s. They only knew how much more it got so now. Soon in October, though, the Cuban Missile Crisis unfolded that month. And the scary time gave the, the pair the prompt that they needed to write a song. A song for Christmas that was also a plea for peace with a tune made famous by Bing Crosby, Do You Hear What I Hear? The song has a loose telling of the Christmas story within it, but listen to how this connects to our conversation this morning and how it connects to God's timeless, ongoing song. And I'll spare you trying to sing it because it will not do glory to God. Do you hear what I hear? A song, a song high above the trees with a, bo a voice as big as the sea. And later, listen to what I say. Pray for peace, people everywhere. Listen to what I say. The child, the child sleeping in the night, he will bring us goodness and light. Friends, do you hear what I hear? It's a song. It's a familiar song. It's God's song. Same song sung by Mary. Same song that's been sung by these faithful women throughout the scriptures, throughout the ages, and continues on calling us to live in peace, hope, joy, and love. Friends, on this final Sunday of Advent, let us shine the light of love by joining Mary in this chorus of faithful women throughout Scripture in God's song of redemption, of reversal, and of justice. May it be so for us and for all longing for God's peace. Amen.